All right, we're still going through the Old Testament. We're up to 1 Kings chapter 21. First Kings chapter 21, we've been seeing wicked King Ahab and his evil wife Jezebel in the last few passages, and we'll continue to see them in our passage today. So if you want to look at, uh, we're going to jump right in here, First Kings chapter 21 and verse 1, it says, It came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Samaria was the capital, again, of the northern kingdom. Ahab had a palace there, but he also had what some people call a summer palace here in Jezreel. And this is the place where Naboth had his vineyard, as it says, right next, uh, right next door here to the palace that they've got in that area. So verse 2, so Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near, next to my house, and for it I will give you a vineyard better than it, or if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth in money. Well, at first, it sounds here like a reasonable request. Ahab wants the land, and he's got a purpose in mind for it. He said he wants to make a vegetable garden for himself. And he explains how practical it would be for him because it was close by. It was right next door to his house. So Ahab offers to give Naboth here an even better vineyard in exchange for his. Or Ahab would just outright buy the vineyard from Naboth. So up front, it doesn't seem like a problem. It does seem like a probably reasonable uh, offer here. But when we look at verse 3, we're going to see that there is a problem with what Ahab's trying to to pull here. (laughs) These guys, you know, they're always up to something, right? So verse three, but Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. So this wasn't just any old vineyard to Naboth. It wasn't just a piece of land that had no significance to him. This was the family inheritance handed down from generation to generation. And you notice here that he didn't say, I'm not going to sell you the land. He said, I'm not going to sell you the inheritance of my fathers. Now remember that in Israel, the land that a person lived on was a really big deal. When they entered the promised land, if you remember when we studied that a while back there, the land was divided up. Each tribe was given their particular portion except for the tribe of Levi, because they were going to be going to be serving with the priest. But all the rest of the tribes were given their specific piece of land. Uh, Naboth here was saying that that vineyard was, was the property that was given to his family. So it was their inheritance in the promised land, and it was to be the family's inheritance passed down generation to generation. Therefore, it is not for sale. <laughs> He's never going to put a for sale sign up on that piece of land. Uh, Naboth even said here, if you notice, the Lord forbid. Now that shows that God's hand and his family have in this land. So he's saying, that, you know, this has been handed down to us by the Lord, and may the Lord protect this from ever going into your hands. So uh, he's, he's against this, 
And for him to violate this, it'd be violating God's law. So he's not going to sell it. That's not even an option for him, uh, even in exchange. It's like, no, this land is ours and it has to stay here. So look what the Lord said in Law of Moses about a family keeping its property. Look back at Numbers chapter 36. This is where we see the Lord's direction on this. Back to Numbers 36. And if you look down to verse 7. Lord given directions here to uh, the Israelites as they're going to get into the promised land. And in uh, Numbers 36 verse 7 it says, So the inheritance of the children of Israel shall not change hands from tribe to tribe. For every one of the children of Israel shall keep the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And if you remember, when we looked at that originally, we were talking about the Lord had prevented it so one tribe couldn't end up buying up all the land and then all the tribes are out of there. So he set it up amazingly that all the tribes would remain and they'd all have their place. Well, what Ahab is doing here, just kind of looking past all of that, he just wants to do his own thing and he wants what he wants. He doesn't really care about God's law or anything. So when Ahab here, he asked Naboth basically to break the law, that's what he was doing, Ahab Ahab found out something interesting. Naboth's integrity was not for sale, okay? So Naboth, he stands out here as a champion for keeping one's integrity secure. You know, he shows an amazing strength in the convictions that he had. Uh, Now Naboth, he's going to pay a price for this later on, but we see a guy here, He lived this way during such an evil time in Israel's history. He's surrounded by a bunch of wicked folks, and Naboth really stands out. He shines brightly even back then. And his name, you know, as we look at this story today, it encourages other people who read this story throughout the ages that you can stand for your convictions, that you can hold on to your integrity no matter who's trying to bother you to take it away. So he leaves behind a great example of having a good character, even in the midst of an evil, deteriorating society. And you know, in the evil days in which we live right now, it's become easier and easier just to sell out when it comes to our integrity. You know, the excuses people would give, they might say something like, well, everybody's doing it, so it's no big deal. Or they might say, just do this, nobody's going to find out. And even if they do, they aren't going to care anyway. And sadly, those things may be true right now in our time period, but please don't fall for that scam. You know, our integrity is important to the Lord, and we need to stand for what's right. So it would be very displeasing to the Lord, you know, if we would uh, turn around and say, well, I'll just sell my integrity. You're right. It's no big deal. Uh, And when we do that, There can be a lot of regrets that come and you know maybe messing things up that can never be fixed. So uh, don't don't even go there. Yeah, we see this as an amazing example of a guy who's standing up even to the pressure of a king trying to to get his integrity from him. And you know, we, we all probably have seen things in our lifetime that we really would like to have, but we can't have them for some reason or another. So how should we react when that happens? Well, Ahab's going to show us here the wrong way to react in verse 4. So take a look at him. Ahab went into his house, sullen and displeased. So he's got that pouty face on. 
because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him, for he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And notice very carefully how he said that, the inheritance. And he lay down on his bed. So Ahab went and laid on his bed. He turned away his face and he would eat no food. (laughs) So Ahab is pouting and he's even not going to eat. You know, and I don't know what Ahab looked like, but I just have this picture in my mind of this little short round guy, you know, that when he says he's not going to eat, you don't worry that he's going to starve to death in a couple of days. It's like, okay, you know, but I'm not sure. I don't have a picture of him, but that's just what comes to mind. His reaction, though, to not getting his way, that reaction is obviously very wrong. You know, he's pretty dramatic about it, too. So when Ahab doesn't get his way and he goes to pouting, Everybody knows it, (laughs) you know. Oh, he's gone into his room, he's laid on his bed, he's facing the wall, and he's not going to eat. It's like, is there something wrong, Ahab? (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? So here's the thing is, Lord wants to see, I think, how childish his reaction is and how bad it looks, doesn't it? I mean, come on. So here's a guy, he's got two palaces that we know of at this point, and he's, he's basically got more than anybody could want, more than you could probably use or spend in a lifetime, right? But because he can't have this one piece of property to put a vegetable garden on it, he's going to pout like a spoiled little brat, you know? I mean, how bad does that look? So when we don't get our way, how bad does our reaction look? You know, it is a challenge to us. Of If the Lord were, were writing our reaction down in the Bible here, to be written in the pages of the scriptures and to be seen by multiple generations later on, you know? Would we be seen as leaving a good example for others to follow or a bad example? You know, in the New Testament, the Lord does give us the answer. I asked you, what do we do when there's something we really want bad and we just can't seem to get it? The Lord tells us this, be content with such things as you have, right? So if we want something, no matter how bad we might want it, and the Lord says no, then we need to learn to be content, and we need to learn to be content. I don't think that's an automatic thing with us, you know? In our culture, it's definitely not, because we're always trained to get whatever you want, please yourself first, you know? So the Lord tells us to be content. And when we were in that position, I think we need to just thank the Lord for all the things he's already given to us. All the things he's already met, our needs, you know, and how well he's taking care of us. He's taking such good care of us. So we really don't need to be that spoiled little brat and, you know, throw a little fit or anything. We need to just stop and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for all you've done to bless me, how you've taken such good care of me, you know, and not, not go this direction. Verse 5 goes on in our passage there. But Jezebel, and man, when you see those things, you know, Things are not going to go good from this direction on. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? <laughs> so she's coming up, Oh, why are you not eating? You know, And this is a lady, you, you just want to watch your back anytime she comes close. Because even though it sounds really nice at this point, we know some different things. This is a lady who killed all the prophets of the Lord that she could get her hands on, right? So... Yeah, be careful here. Uh, Verse 6 goes on. He said to her, 
because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, give me your vineyard for money or else if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Now that's not quite what he said. So Ahab was putting a spin on the details of that conversation. By the way he said it, he made it sound like Naboth was the selfish one here and that he just was being obstinate by not selling his vineyard. Like, no, I'm not going to let you play with my football or my basketball. No, you know. And that's not what's going on at all, right? Naboth said no because it's his family's inheritance. It's not just a vineyard that he wants to hold on to. It's got extreme significance here to the family. So Naboth had a legal right a legal right to say no. But Ahab conveniently doesn't mention anything about the inheritance, just that he won't sell me his vineyard, you know. That's what aggravates you so much when you listen to the news on the major channels and you hear how they put things and how they can make some people look so bad, you know. And then later on, you find out the true story of what happened. And you realize the media had just put a spin on things and what you were told originally wasn't anywhere close to the truth. You know, that frustrates us. And it can really upset you if you're, if you're somebody like me who's interested in hearing the truth, you know, and nothing but the truth, please. <laughs> you know, it's like, don't put a spin on things. Just tell us the truth and let us come to our own conclusions based on the truth. But obviously... They don't want you to do that. They want you to think what they want you to think, so they put their spin on it. And you end up with something that is not the truth. And you know what the scary part of that is? Who's the father of lies? So we know who's behind this, right? Okay, so verse 7 goes on. Then Jezebel, his wife, said to him, You now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, Eat food and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So Jezebel, she reminds him that he's the king and he has supreme authority over the entire northern kingdom. And he doesn't have to take no for an answer from anybody. Now from her own background, where she's coming from, Canaanite land, you know, pagan kings, she's used to see them take whatever they want and there's no questions asked, right? That's what she grew up with. That's what she's used to. So she's probably kind of puzzled why he's backing off here when somebody told him no. So she tells him to get up and get happy and don't let this ruin your day. <laughs> and she says she'll take care of things. Now Naboth here, from his perspective, he's acting righteously when he said no to the temptation of selling his family's inheritance. I mean, you think about that. He might have thought, man, I could use that money. I really could use it. But this is the family's inheritance. There's no way. There's no way I'm going to do that. So he said no to that temptation. But evil Queen Jezebel, she said, yes, I will get that vineyard for you, Ahab. But when she said that in her evil mind, she's saying that she's going to do whatever it takes to get it. Even if it was illegal and wrong, and you want to, we've got to look here to see how far she's willing to go and how evil this lady really is. I mean, we know a lot about her already, but look at verse 8. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, 
and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. Okay, so we know who was actually pulling the strings here in Ahab's home and in his kingdom. It was Jezebel. But the interesting thing down the road is that the Lord is going to hold Ahab responsible for her actions. The Lord's going to send a prophet later on, and that prophet isn't going to be sent to confront Jezebel. That prophet is going to be sent to uh, Ahab here because she had did the evil action. She pulled the stuff off, but Ahab didn't do anything to stop any of it. So he is going to be held responsible. So the Lord's going to send that prophet to Ahab. He's going to hold him responsible because he's the man of the household and he's the king of the land. So guys, don't think we can uh, you know, shirk our responsibility as being the spiritual head of the household. The Lord is ultimately going to hold us responsible for what goes on in our homes. Verse 9 here goes on. So here's what she's up to. She wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth with high honor among the people. So she's telling the, the elders and the leaders in this area, here's what I want you to do. First of all, she said, I want you to proclaim a fast. So what she's doing here, she's going to make it sound like there's some kind of sin in the camp. And they need to declare a nationwide fast to see God on this. We've got to see what's going on. And then she's going to set, up, uh, this, set him up. So she, she says, I want all the blame to end up on Naboth. So you make sure he's put in a prominent place. People are going to see him. And, you know, this is her little deal she's got going. Now, isn't this crazy? Because you know that Jezebel doesn't care about God, nor does she care about sin happening in the land, because she's probably the one who's behind the majority of most of it going on anyway. So sin doesn't bother her. But she's going to secretly lead the charge in what appears to be a cause for doing the right thing and for correcting a wrong that has been done in the society. So again, the hypocrisy is about enough to turn your stomach when you think this one through. It's like the people they show on the news who appear to be up in arms over these poor children of the illegal immigrants and how mistreated these poor children are. And then if you stop to think about it, these people on the news who appear to be crying the loudest about this, they're the same ones who promote the butchering and murder of the innocent unborn of our culture today. And then it dawns on you, they don't really care about the children anyway. This is just something they use to promote their own political agenda. Like I said, it turns your stomach when you realize what's really going on. And look how similar this is to the evil action that Queen Jezebel pulls right here. So she says, proclaim a fast, put Naboth in high honor so everybody can see him. Then in verse 10, here's where she gets down and dirty. See two men, scoundrels, Shouldn't be too hard to find those guys in that culture, huh? Two men, scoundrels, before him, right in front of him, to bear witness against him. And here's what they're supposed to say. You have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him that he may die. What a wicked plan, huh? It's interesting how Jezebel is going to use the law of Moses here to pull off her dirty deed. I mean, the law demanded death for blasphemy. And it also required the testimony of two witnesses to accuse someone of such a crime. Now, she obviously doesn't care about the law of Moses, but she's willing to use it 
if she can manipulate them into killing Naboth. So the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they weren't much different, were they? They outwardly appeared to have such a great respect for things such as keeping the Sabbath, but secretly behind closed doors, they plotted to kill Jesus, though he was completely innocent and without sin. That's why they couldn't even find two false witnesses who would agree in making accusations against him when he was on trial. So amazing, we, we see some similarities here. Verse 11, so the men of his city, the elders and nobles, this is Naboth's city now, who were the inhabitants of his city, they did as Jezebel had sent to them, as it was written in the letters which she had sent to them. So this shows us a powerful yet a sad principle. And I think Warren Wiersbe said it best when he said this. Evil leaders could never succeed were it not for weak people who obey their orders. That's something. Evil leaders could never succeed were it not for the weak people who obey their orders. And you know, it's easier to go along with the crowd. I understand that. But the Lord is not going to give rewards to those who will not stand for truth, even though they know better than to fold under peer pressure. So we need to pray, you know, Lord, give us boldness. Help us to stand for truth. It is not easy when a society continues to get more wicked by the day. Truth will always win out, though, in the long run where God is concerned. You know, we may not see some things correctly, and in being corrected, I mean, until Jesus comes back, but the truth will always come out winner in the end. So we always want to stand for truth. God is the final saint, so, right? So when we're going to stand before him, he's not going to say, oh, yeah, you gave him a peer pressure. Okay, I understand. No, he's going to say, you knew the truth. I would give you all the strength you need to stand for truth. All you had to do is ask, and I would give that to you. So here's a guy like Naboth now who should have been given a commendation for faithfulness to his family's inheritance, right? But instead, he's going to be falsely accused and murdered. And of course, this is where we see the picture of Jesus and Naboth. Jesus, too, he was falsely accused by false witnesses. He was set up not by an evil queen, but by a wicked group of religious leaders to be seen as a criminal, though he was completely innocent. And that's exactly what's going on here. So Jesus' death ended up basically being murder as well. Totally innocent guy, put to death by false witnesses and everything they tried to pull. So verse 12 in our passage here, they proclaimed a fast. They did what they were told to do. They seated Naboth with high honor among the people. And two men, scoundrels, came in and sat before him. And the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. Then they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones so that he died. Now, I find it interesting that these guys sent word to Jezebel at the end of that in verse 14. It says, then they sent word to Jezebel saying, Naoth has been stoned and is dead. They sent the message straight to her. It sounds like they knew who was behind these letters that were written in Ahab's name, even though his seal had been put on them. I think they figured out Jezebel's the wicked. This is her character. This must be her. It doesn't sound like the news of Naboth's death was sent back to Ahab, but to Queen Jezebel, because she's the one who eventually tells him from what we see in the story. 
We also find out in 2 Kings that they also executed all of Naboth's sons too over this ordeal. And that meant that they eliminated all the family heirs. So now there'd be this land that had no living heirs and it could easily be allowed to be turned over to the king. Wow, there were a number of lives lost over this and these folks hadn't done anything wrong. Yeah, verse 15. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth had, had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. You know, and I think that Jezebel was probably delighted to bring this news to Ahab, almost like giving him a surprise birthday present or something. I almost imagine her just being so happy to tell him this. Verse 16, so it was, when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he said, we need to go to the funeral. No, you don't see that at all here. That's, that's not his concern. When he heard Naboth was dead, Ahab got up. He went down to take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So you can picture Ahab, you know, kind of jumping out of his bed, rubbing his hands together in delight that he's actually going to get his vineyard land that he had been wanting so badly, you know. What a sad picture for us, though. He had no concern that this innocent man and his sons lost their lives over this. The blood of their land is on the hands of Ahab and Jezebel, and this is not going to sit well with the Lord. Verse 17 goes on, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, and the Lord's got a message here he's going to send to Ahab. And, you know, we've been seeing some different prophets, some without names that have popped up here and there. And when I see the Lord going to Elijah, it's like, man, the Lord's pulling out the big guns. <laughs> He's sending Elijah. So in verse 18, he says, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. When the Lord called Ahab here the king of Israel, it's kind of like God was coming directly against what Jezebel had said earlier. You remember she told Ahab he was the king, right? And he didn't have to take no for an answer from Naboth. Well, it's like you hear that the Lord is saying, Ahab, you're the king and you could have said no. I will wrongfully take no land from my people, even though I have the power to do so. And because you are the king, you will be held responsible for your wife's evil decisions. That's almost... What's coming from the Lord here, he even calls him, he's the king of Israel. It's like, this guy is responsible. Woo! You notice something too, the Lord didn't say that Ahab was in his vineyard. He didn't say, hey, go down and catch him, he's in his vineyard. No, he says Ahab was in the vineyard of Naboth. So that's the way the Lord sees it. It's that guy's vineyard and he stole it here. Verse nine, 19, I'm sorry. Verse 19, you shall speak to him saying, thus says the Lord, have you murdered and also taken possession? Lord doesn't miss anything here, right? And you shall speak to him saying, thus says the Lord, in the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. What a stern prophecy from the Lord. And you know, it shows how cruel of a death this was too, where the dogs just licked up, licked up his blood as he must have just bled out in that place as they stoned him and his sons. What a sad picture. So verse 20, so Ahab said to Elijah, 
here's Elijah coming up with this message. And Ahab says, have you found me, O my enemy? <laughs> now, Ahab doesn't get it. He knows that every time Elijah shows up, he's always bringing news of God's judgment against him. But Ahab thinks the problem is with Elijah, not with himself, you know? And there are people like that. They just don't understand why they're always seen as the bad guy, so they blame everything on other folks. I mean, can you imagine him saying, my enemy? Somebody said he should have seen him as his best friend and Jezebel as his worst enemy, right? But he was really messed up. So the second part of verse 20 he answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Man, I tell you what, what a strong but true accusation. You've sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Wow. The Lord sees everything, even behind closed doors, even in dark rooms. Nothing is hidden from the Lord. Verse 21 here, Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity and will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. Wow, I mean, think about these statements from the Lord. For one, he said, he's going to bring calamity on you. That's something you never want to hear from the Lord personally. <laughs> you know, you don't want to get that letter in the mail, right? <laughs> and the Lord's going to take away his posterity, posterity here. That means your family line being on the throne, gone. You have any male heirs in the throne, gone, not going to happen. So just like Naboth had all of his heirs taken away, so the Lord is going to do the same thing to Ahab. What you sow is what you will reap, right? Verse 22, I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And you remember those two guys? We looked at them before. The Lord wiped out their entire family line so they would have no uh, people on the throne from their family. They were done. So here the Lord is, is uh, going to go through this same thing with, with good old Ahab here. And Ahab, he's blamed here not only for his own sin, but you notice at the end of verse 22 it says, and he made Israel sin. So he's being blamed for his evil influence of causing others to sin. And you need, just meditate that a second. I don't think we realize how powerful sin is, you know, that we will be held accountable if we have influenced others to sin. So it's not just us that's going to stand before the Lord for our own sin, but then the Lord's going to turn the next page and say to folks, what about what you did to other people? Wow. Praise the Lord, our sins are covered in Christ, right? But can you imagine folks standing before the great white throne as the Lord flips another page? Yeah. And they're going to be shocked. Well, I didn't know. I didn't mean that. I, we were just having a good time, you know? And Wow. Yeah. I think if we feel convicted over this, you know, when we think about this, Right now, it'd probably be a good time to repent and confess to the Lord. Say, Lord, I tell you what, I have people come to mind that I have influenced to sin, and I'm confessing that right now. Lord, I just want to be totally clean. I pray, help them people get out of that mess if they're in it right now. Yeah, verse 23, concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke. She's not getting off the hook here, is she? He said, the dogs shall eat Jezebel, Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. 
So Lord didn't forget about Jezebel. He is saying that she's going to die and she won't even get a decent burial. She's going to end up being dog food. Ooh. And notice where her dead body's going to lie. Real close to where poor Naboth and his sons were slaughtered. I tell you what, God is a God of justice. And nobody's going to get away with anything. Wow. Verse 24, the dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. You notice here the rest of Ahab's relatives, they're going to end up being either dog food or bird food. And there's no decent burial for any of them, which was seen as a pretty disgraceful thing in that culture because they put a lot of stock in getting a decent burial. In every one of these prophecies of judgment that are made by the Lord, they're fulfilled. I mean, we have the answers to, to see all that in Scripture. And you know, when you and I read the book of Revelation, it's, it astounds us to realize that we're reading the future of this world. That's going to happen. Every one of those prophecies of judgment will come, just like the judgments against Ahab and Jezreel came to be. Verse 25, But there was no one like Ahab, and this isn't a good thing, who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. Wow, what an evil testimony to leave behind. You know, no one was like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord's going to hold Jezebel accountable for in her influence too that caused Ahab to get even deeper into sin. Sure, he did enough on his own, but she influenced him to go further. So again, people aren't going to get away with anything, and we don't have to worry about that. The Lord's going to deal with folks. Verse 26, and he, talking about Ahab still, behaved very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And you remember, the Ammonites were the ones that were in the land when Israel came <clears throat> to move into the promised land, and the Lord said, their sins are just all the way up to the top. They can't they don't have room for any more sin to even shove in that place. So when you guys go in, you take them out. They're, they're not good anymore to even be around. And the Lord said before, you know, the Amites have done so much evil, wicked things, they need to be cast out of this land. And now Ahab was rebelliously following in their footsteps. And it sounds like he's doing any and every sort of evil that he could come up with, you know? Some have said that Ahab and Jezreel sure enjoyed all the evil things they got into. But sin is only pleasurable for a season. And that's a short season when you look back on it, you know? I mean, if you walked in the world before you came to Christ, you might have thought, man, it has some good times. Think back to those good times now. They're gone. They're long gone. It's over, right? A few passing moments of extreme, even extreme pleasure in this life it's not going to seem worth it all when you consider the eternity and pain and torment that's surely waiting at the end of the road. Verse 27, So it was when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes and he put sackcloth on his body and he fasted and he lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. <coughs> so this announcement from Eli, Elijah, I'm sorry, it caused Ahab to have an immediate reaction. All right? And the Lord's going to call it here in verse 28. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. 
In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. So judgment didn't go away. It's just going to be postponed a little bit because of Ahab's reaction here of humbling himself. And notice something. The Lord said Ahab humbled himself. He didn't say Ahab repented. And there's a big difference over being upset because you got busted versus being broken to the point of repentance. And it makes me wonder, you know, if I should be more careful in my prayers and asking the Lord to humble somebody, thinking maybe I should be praying instead, Lord, please break them to the point of repentance. Because we see here that Ahab humbled himself and it didn't do much. You think about it, you know. So the Lord's going to extend some more grace here into the life of Ahab. He deserved quick judgment. The Lord said, I'm going to hold it off a little bit. Your son's going to pay the price. Still coming in your family, but I'm going to hold off a little bit because you humbled yourself before me. So we see there's some value to humbling yourself, but it's not enough to get you saved. You're going to have to repent if you want to see salvation. And we see the Lord here. This is interesting to think about this. The Lord is reaching out again to help Ahab. He's trying to get him closer to following the Lord. And we've seen a number of times the Lord's reached out and shown grace after grace to Ahab, you know, but ultimately all we can tell Ahab dies being lost forever in his sins. From the best we can see, we don't see any true repentance in his life at all. But somebody said this, isn't it amazing when you look back on your own life and you see how long the Lord was extending grace to us over and over and over again until the day finally came when we humbled ourselves to the point of receiving Christ. You know, I mean, I can look back and remember people coming across my path, maybe giving me a verse here, people coming and saying something about the Lord over here. And at the time, you might have just taken that, which I've said before, I said, well, the Lord was just planting seeds. The Lord was extending that grace. He was calling, saying, come on, come on, come on. And the sad thing is that sometimes when you learn from this passage right here, the Lord puts all that time and effort into people who end up rejecting Christ and they will sadly go into eternity still bearing their own sin. That's sad. But God can never be blamed because he's made countless attempts to reach people, but they chose to turn away on their own. Man, this is an amazing thing. If you just chew on that one a little bit, how many times the Lord used this guy. I mean, we can read verse 25 over again. There was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord. Nobody. <laughs> Makes you think of those passages where the Lord says, you know, there was nobody had more wisdom than Solomon. He's at the top. Well, guess who's at the top of sin? This guy. And the Lord went after him time and time again. You know, you try to realize how amazing it is that God would reach out and extend grace to somebody who's as evil as this guy. And it lets you see again how serious God is when he said he desires that none should perish. You know, there really is no one who's beyond finding God's forgiveness if they will repent and be broken before the Lord and put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. This is an amazing passage to, to see how Lord uh, humbled him himself to come down and try to reach this guy. And you know, if there's somebody watching online, you have not yet received Christ in your life, realize that God's been working on trying to reach you for a long time. Today can be your day of salvation. Come to the Lord and talk to him. 
And if, you, if we can be of help here, please contact us. We'd be glad to pray with you, help you with the most important decision of your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the, the truths you show us, show us about such a guy as a Naboth, one who's willing to stand even against a king. Amazing, Lord, to see these guys that you were working with back then. And Lord, you let us see the other side of the coin too, the evil folks that are there and how far they're willing to go. And Lord, you, you teach us from this that you've gone to great lengths to try to reach people, no matter how wicked they are. So Father, I pray you help us. I know there are times that we might just discard somebody and say, well, I, I tried to speak to them, they were done, I'm done. But Lord, we don't know, maybe you're still going after them. So we pray, continue to go after them. And Lord, as we think about our loved ones, our relatives who may not know Christ yet, Lord, I pray today, I say, please, Lord, don't just humble them, but bring them and break them, you know, bring them to the point of being broken so they can repent. Because we want to see them in glory with you, Lord. We look forward to that. I know you desire that they don't perish. I know you're already going after them, but please, Lord, bring up the intensity. Go after them even stronger, we pray. Thank you, Lord, for the folks that are watching. If someone is today uh, wanting to receive Christ, if you have spoken to their heart, help them. Lord, whatever they need to do, if they need to get somebody to pray with them, whatever they need today, Lord, let it be the day that they say, I need Jesus. I don't want to face an eternity without him. So we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.